Uh, today we're celebrating mothers, so we're going to read about the wisdom of a Jewish mother, Jewish mother in the birth of Moses. About this time, and a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in a basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon, Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the river bank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Well, this morning uh, we continued the theme of relationships, uh, especially under the umbrella of uh, standing together. Last week, uh, Pastor Norm spoke on the theme of acceptance uh, in uh, relationships. And by the way, Pastor Norb is in Vancouver this weekend uh, with his daughter, I think, for a volleyball tournament somewhere in Vancouver area. And we have about 30 of our ladies that are out in Canmore this weekend. So we're a little more sparse this morning. Uh, but uh, some, because that impacts all of our families. But I think we have about 30 ladies out there running a marathon or running a 10K or a walking a 5K. I'm not sure what all they're doing. Today uh, is, of course, Mother's Day. So we don't want to miss the opportunity to do some thinking about uh, one of the most powerful relationships in the world, uh, the relationship of a mother to her family, uh, I mean, that relationship is beyond measure. How do you ever measure the impact of something l like that? And I know Mother's Day are, are hard. The sermons are hard for some moms. Uh, you just soon do ten loads of laundry or have a root canal rather than listen to another Mother's Day sermon. Because sometimes it might just stir up all kinds of stuff within you and inflict guilt. I want to tell you right up front, relax. Relax. Uh, we want to bless you today. We want to encourage you today. As many of you go through uncharted territory. Mother's Day is also hard, as you know, for women without children. It's one of those Sundays where you feel, uh, I don't fit. And I sure don't want to add to the pressure that comes from being a mom or not being a mom. In fact, I think the application that flows out of the text this morning relates to dads maybe as much as it does to moms. 
It relates to aunts and uncles and teachers and coaches and students and, and whoever. But we get to learn specifically from a mom who lived a few thousand years ago and we give our attention to a mom who walked into a situation that she could have never really been prepared for. Uncharted territory. Absolutely. And all of a sudden she was in the thick of it. Sound familiar? How did I ever get into this? I saw our grandson uh, not too long ago, I think it was this week, and he had a little injury. He fell. He scraped his knee or something in and it bothered him for a bit, and he cried, and the first stop was to tell his mom about his injury. And no sooner was it out of his mouth, and he was fine. He just had to say it to his mom, and then life continued on as normal. There is something about saying it to mom that changes everything. Even, I think, as you grow older, if you can just say it to mom, then that's half the battle right there. Moms are quite amazing people. A teacher gave her class of second graders a, a lesson on the magnet to see what it does. And she showed them that you can take that magnet and you can pick up pins and so on, and it'll just pull right into the magnet. The next day, in a written test, she included the question, my full name has six letters. The first one is M. I pick up things. What am I? When the test papers were turned in, the teacher was surprised to find that almost 50% of the students answered the question with the word mother. <laughs> they completely forgot about magnet. A teacher asked a boy this question. Suppose your mother baked a pie and there were seven of you, your parents and five children. What part of the pie would you get? A sixth, replied the boy. The teacher looked at him and said, I'm afraid you don't know your fractions. Uh, remember, there are seven of you. Yes, teacher, said the boy, but you don't know my mother. Mother would say, she didn't want any pie. Now, I want to introduce you to a wonderful mom this morning. Oh, you may have met her before, but good chances are you forgot her name. She doesn't wear her name tag very much in the Bible. In fact, it's a bit of a challenge to track down her name. But I'll tell you up front, her name is Jochebed. Does that want to make you just say, oh yeah, Jochebed, I know Jochebed. Or do you still want to say, doesn't ring a bell, <laughs> sorry, Jochebed? Well, you know her son better than you know her. Because her son, Moses, was a dominant figure in Old Testament history. He's the one who led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. He's the one who walked up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. He's the one that patiently led the children of Israel for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. And he's the one who actually didn't get into the Promised Land because he died. And the Lord said, no, you're not going yet. We know Moses, but we don't know a great deal about his mother or his father. You actually have to go on a bit of a hunting trip to find their names in the Bible, but eventually you will find their name tag tucked away in some family records in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20. 
which says Amran married his father's sister, Jochebed, and she gave birth to his sons, Aaron and Moses. That's about it in terms of name tags. But the storyline takes us to Exodus chapter 2. And it's a fascinating story of a mom entering uncharted territory. When a difficult, uh, what a difficult environment in, in which to raise a family. We, uh, we use the expression that, that he was born on the wrong side of the tracks. And such words could not have been any more true for Moses and his mother, Jochebed. Perhaps you're familiar with the times in which Moses uh, was born. Because of famine in, in, uh, uh, in the land of Canaan, the Israelites under Jacob and his uh, sons moved to Egypt. Those were the days of Joseph. But the years had gone by. In fact, about 400 years, and this little company of people that entered Egypt uh, perhaps just a, a couple of hundred people had now grown immensely. They settled in the province of Goshen in the land of Egypt. And the Lord blessed them. And Joseph now has long ago died. The Pharaoh that granted permission to the Israelites to come into their country had long ago passed from this life. And so this was a new day. And this was a new king who came to power. And he was threatened. And the Israelites living in their country was now outnumbered, uh, they were outnumbering the Egyptians themselves. Kind of a formula for disaster. It was becoming painfully clear to the Egyptian administration that they were putting their country in jeopardy. That this could be a takeover if they weren't careful to put on the brakes and bring a halt to the population growth of the Israelites. And so there went out an order to restrict the growth of the Israelites to only girls. I met a wonderful young man on the airplane last Sunday evening uh, while traveling from Sacramento to Seattle, and then we caught the flight from Seattle to Edmonton. But uh, <clears throat> met this young man, was seated beside him, and uh, he looked very young. Really, he looked like he was about 16 years of age. And when I, we got talking, he was actually 24. He was from China. He was a recent graduate from Duke University, a prestigious university in the southeast United States, now employed in Seattle with Microsoft. He is a computer engineer, brilliant young man. Got to talk to him, and uh, he said, I'm from China. And uh, not thinking, I asked if he was the oldest in his family. His uh, boyish smile protruded, and, and he said, uh, I guess, yes, I could say I'm the oldest, and I could say I'm the youngest. I'm the only child. I then remembered, of course. He said, that is so typical of my generation. He said, China has so many people. They were limiting the growth of the population in Egypt. But in this case, in a very violent way. Chapter, uh, verse 22 of chapter 1 puts it very graphically. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let, excuse me, but you may let the girls live. Now, this is the uh, tough environment into which Moses was born. His parents already had Miriam, his sister, who was probably a young teenage gal at this point, 
And then there was Aaron, his older brother, and he was probably about three years old. But now when Moses comes along, the political and economic climate had severely changed. You know, things can change in a nation very quickly. Things are pretty static, and then all of a sudden, some new things happen, and, and the dynamics of a country in which we're living can change. The Israelites were oppressed. They worked hard under the blazing sun day in and day out. Uh, they were slaves in Egypt, forced to build these large cities. Life was horrible. The Bible says that the Egyptians made their lives bitter. You can imagine what happened when Amran came home from a blistering day of working out in the sun, forced to make his quota of bricks for that particular day. And after supper, when Miriam and Aaron had gone to bed and it was time for mom and dad to also go to bed, you could just hear Jochebed turning to her husband in bed and saying, Honey, you need to know something. What? What? You need to know I'm pregnant. We're going to have another baby. The thought of abortion never entered her mind. But the thought of having a baby with a 50-50 chance of it being a boy was terrifying. As she puts her head on his chest, you can hear her saying, Honey, I pray that it's a girl. I could not bear my son thrown into the Nile River. The thought of it just makes me want to throw up. I don't know what I would do. I, I couldn't handle it. Isn't it amazing how God works? This is the environment to which this little guy, this little baby Moses would be born. God is well aware of our childhood context. He's well aware. Yes, I think, too, if we could know the heritage out of which we were born, we would be amazed at the sovereignty of God, the way he has worked, and the great men and women who have impacted our lives. History is full of courageous men and women who have gone before us and who have paved the way for us and who have influenced us. I visited the farmland in Hilda, Alberta, where my wife was born, and it's quite a story of her birth and how she was born prematurely and had to bring out a plane to get her and, and fly her into Medicine Hat. And Hilda is on the edge of the Saskatchewan border, northeast of Medicine Hat, and my wife's great-grandparents settled there in the late 1800s. As many of you probably will know, there are not many trees in that area. They built their starter homes out of sod. They laid sod upon sod upon sod as a, as a means of shelter. Very, very tiny little homes, 10 feet by 14 feet. There wasn't much wood or old trees around, but they, they pulled all this sod together and they built a, a little house. And they burned cow dung to give some warmth during the winter because there wasn't anything else to burn. Well, talk about survival in a harsh, cold environment. 
These were hardy people. Yes, but this is in our history. Our grandparents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents paid quite a price, most of them in coming to this new land. We would be amazed at the ingenuity and the courage of our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents who have walked before us and courageously lived through wars and famine and displacement and death. We would be amazed at the ingenuity of mothers living back in those days who improvised and saved and skimped and made do with so little yet raised large families. Families of 10 and 12 and 14 children were not uncommon. How did they manage through all of that? Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, About this time a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. You may be reading, she saw that he was a beautiful baby. Now that's an interesting translation. Because as you know, every mom and dad thinks their children are the most beautiful kids alive. There's nobody like our kids. And it's all right to be biased. Last week, attending the, the board meeting in Sacramento, between breaks, the topic often informally was grandchildren. Most of the people, not all, but most of them serving on the foundation board are grandparents. So one grandparent would take out his iPhone or his iPad and say, these are my, these are my grandchildren. And of course, that would prompt the next one to pull out theirs and say, this is my grandchildren. And, and then the next one would say, oh, well, look at my grandchildren. You think you got great-grandchildren? And it got a little bit hostile back and forth as to who had the greatest-looking grandchildren. And Bob and I thought that the Canadians had it by a long shot. But it, it certainly wasn't unanimous because all of us think our children are beautiful and, and our grandchildren. And the New Living Translation translates this word as special, a special baby. Of course, even that's a bit nebulous. Jochebed looked at her, had her son and she had insight that this child was destined for something great. She could see that something, something great was going to take place in the life of this child. Maybe the dominant word was destiny. Jochebed saw destiny in this child. You know, I can remember the positive things that my mother said about me. Mothers can see ahead. And they have a wonderful way of blessing you from a young age onwards. And what a challenge for moms and dads to speak into the lives of their children to tell them that they're special. Your words are heard, Mom. Your words are valued, Mom. More than you understand at the moment when you give the utterance. You may not get too much feedback, but don't let that discourage you because your words penetrate one layer at a time. I wonder if Jochebed had a sense that this baby would be the deliverer of the nation of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. <clears throat> I just wonder if that's what twigged in her heart. If God gave her that window at the moment to see through. 
And my best guess is yes. And you know, Jochebed would have never lived long enough to see the hand of God on this child, her son, in terms of seeing him lead the people of bondage to a new land. I doubt she'd have seen that. But she had a sense of who he was. She, she saw that he was a special baby and, and kept him hidden for three months. Now that was difficult. Uh, uh, and, and what a difficult environment into which Moses was born. Secondly, Jochebed had a courageous faith. Verse 3 informs us, but when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus weeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and she put the baby in the basket and she laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. And the baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Now imagine trying to conceal a three-month-old. How do you keep the baby from crying? They managed for three months, but as the scripture says, it soon proved impossible. I'd like you to see the commentary in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. It says, it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. There it is again. An unusual child. And they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. Isn't that a great verse? They were not afraid to disobey the king's command. God gave them an unusual courage to protect their son. And I love the confidence that God inspired in their hearts. They were afraid. They weren't afraid. They had a sense that God was up to something. But I'm sure they had no idea what it was. Her courageous faith goes into action. She put the little baby in a basket and waterproofed that basket so it wouldn't fill with water. And she put the basket in the reeds so it wouldn't float down the the river. It would be caught in the reeds. What faith to trust God for the well-being of her son. And yes, there are crocodiles in the Nile River, and she knew it. But she trusted God that this was the safest place she could find. And when God is watching over our children, and we're praying for them, they are safe. We do our very best to provide for them. But when things are taken out of our control, it doesn't mean that God isn't looking after them. We put them into the basket of God's care and we say, Lord, here you are. And they grow up and they climb on board an airplane that will take them to Afghanistan or to some remote part of the globe. where they'll be at risk, and we trust them to the Lord. We do the best we can to waterproof them and to prepare them, but eventually we trust them to the Lord. We're waterproofing them in our homes and in our children's ministry. That's what our ministry is all about, preparing them for the road. We don't prepare the the child. We don't prepare the road for the child. We prepare the child for the road. We teach them and we pray for them 
and we invest in them and we speak words of faith and blessing into their lives all those years. So when it's time to go, they are aware of who they are in Christ. And they have someone who walks with them all through life. This is a courageous faith, which led to a creative plan. She had Miriam, Moses' sister, standing away from the basket at a distance, watching to see what would happen. This just wasn't, by the way, Miriam happened to be standing there. No, no. This is a carefully thought-out plan. The baby is in the basket in the river. Miriam is kicking rocks, standing close by, looking very casual. But she's keeping a close eye on the basket. They know, <clears throat> they know this is the bathing spot for the daughter of Pharaoh. Oh no, this has been well thought through. Jochebed has a courageous faith. And then there is wise decision making. Courageous faith means thinking things through. God expects us to have a plan, to use our wisdom, to use his wisdom. God would want us to be strategic in advancing his cause. We all know it will take his hand and his touch, but we have a part to play. And our part is to have faith. Our part is to be creative. Our part is to have a plan. But over and above all of that, we need his superintending hand. Surely the plan is to appeal to the motherly instincts of the princess. Because the Bible says, when the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little baby was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Don't we admire the courage and the creativity of this dear mother, Jochebed? This is amazing faith. But what a wise plan she comes up with. Surely she could have been filled with hesitation. She could have been filled with fear. What if the princess didn't want the little baby? What if the princess just took the basket and just upset it and put that baby right back into the, into the Nile River? What if? What if? But no, we won't go there. Jochebed, we're going to trust. We're going to trust. And Miriam is right on cue. She just magically appears before the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked. She knows her lines. Not, should I go and get my mother? Oh, no. Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. You know, history hangs on those words. Yes, do. Yes, go, said the princess. That was a God-prompted response. That was under the sovereign umbrella of God. Out of the mouth of an, of an Egyptian princess who believed in the many gods of her culture came an, an answer that would impact us and our children and the children of Israel. Isn't that incredible? That this is the convergence of what God was doing? You never know how God is moving in your midst. Just when you think you are up against impossible odds from the most remarkable, unexpected places comes an answer.
We've uh, seen in our short history as a church that just when we've come to a roadblock, and we've hit a few, often at the 11th hour, God showed us a way around the roadblock. expect he'll continue to do that. It was a beautiful morning last Thursday morning. And I decided that I would have my quiet time while walking the block around the church. And so as I, as I walked all the way around the church, I came over by the school. I, the, the building came into view. And my heart suddenly became filled with gratitude to God because I realized anew that he had brought this church into existence. We're all privileged to be part of it, but we know who has been superintending. We know who has been providing. We know who has been answering prayers and making a way, and it's been our God. He wanted this church to come into existence because he sees destiny in our mission. He birthed this church so we could impact our world and our community. Yes, God has blessed this congregation. And what a thrill to welcome so many new friends. And I'm scrambling to connect every face with names. And I fear that I'm a little behind. And, and then I walk out in our community and I walk around and I see all the condos and I see the homes and I see the potential and I, I see why God has put us here. And what a joy that is. What a joy that is. He's called us for this hour. And Miriam said, should I go and find one of the Hebrew women? Should I go? And the princess said, yes, go. Yes, do it. And that word from the princess, yes, do, yes, go, that word preserved Moses' life. Wow, those are powerful words. Do you know why she said it? Because God is in charge of the hearts of all individuals and his plan will not be frustrated. I say to you today, never underestimate the go, the yes, that God is able to bring about. Against impossible odds, there comes the words, yes, go, yes, do. And you can apply it in your context. And Miriam went and found a Hebrew mother. Oh wait, not just a Hebrew mother, she found the baby's mother. She found her mother. A wonderful plan, smart mom, wise mom. I've come to just love this story in Scripture. And verse 9 is just like God. Take this baby, nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Imagine, not only is this little baby saved from death in the Nile, but the mother gets her baby back. And she gets a monthly check in the mail to pay for her services. I love it. She gets paid for caring for her own child. Only God. And you know, friends, he's been blessing, God's been blessing this way ever since the creation of humanity. Only God. He comes in and he blesses in just such amazing, unbelievable ways. And then he gives a bonus on top of it all. Only God. I wonder if this was the beginning of the Child Allowance Government Program right here. Surely we see God's hand in all of this. The mother, Jochebed, did what she did, but she couldn't have done it on her own. Pharaoh's chosen instrument of death, the Nile River, becomes the instrument through which Moses is saved. 
His mother even follows Pharaoh's orders in placing him there in the Nile. And the baby knows just when to cry. Isn't that wonderful? Right on cue, the princess opens the basket and hears the crying. And the baby is reunited with his mother, who is now able to raise the child during the most formative years, teaching him about the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. And then Jochebed will release him back to the Pharaoh's daughter. And Moses will spend his youth in the Pharaoh's court where he will learn law and rhetoric and mathematics and hieroglyphics and even the art of war. And one day Moses will lead two million people through a desert, putting all of these disciplines to work. My heart just leaps in praise to see the masterful hand of God at work in this mother's life. And did you notice that God is never mentioned once in this passage? Still, we know he's at work. There are things that mothers can do, but ultimately they have to leave it in God's hands. And that's the hardest thing, isn't it? That's the hardest thing. Letting go, letting go, not having to own it all. A mother's love never changes. But parenthood is a constant process of letting go. Letting your child make some mistakes. Letting your teenager learn some things the hard way. Letting your adult children follow God's call. Even if it means that she or he will live 5,000 miles away. Mothers take heart. He'll use your courageous faith and your wise planning through it all. He's working behind the scenes to accomplish his purpose in your children's lives. And he will use you. But it's not all up to you. Someone once turned to a full-time mom and said, And what is it you do, dear? Kind of cynically. And she responded, I am socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. <laughs> and then she added, And what do you do? <laughs> Mothers, forgive us if we take for granted what you do and who you are. God uses every one of you. Certainly doesn't mean you never experience pain or suffering or heartache. You surely do. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, had her heart broken. But God uses you. He uses you to instill into your children a knowledge of a faith in and a love for this God who sees and uh, knows your child's deepest need for salvation and has decisively moved to accomplish it through the work of Jesus. But don't worry, it's not all up to you. God is partnering with you. You are not alone, even when you don't see how it's all going to work out. The environment may be difficult, as it was true for Jochebed, but that never stops God. Never underestimate what you bring. And when you bring your best to your children day in and day out, God will bless. And for the days that you look back with regret that it was less than your best, give yourself some grace, some forgiveness, and keep moving forward. 
There's an old hymn. I haven't heard it for a long, long time. It's called O Zion Haste. And the last stanza says, Give of thy sons and daughters to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. Amen.